Okay, let's get it. Locked on LSU, your team every day. I'm Matt Moscona. Glad you are with us. What a night for the Tigers. LSU goes to Gainesville, and in overtime, they beat Florida. Uh, LSU baseball team back in the win column with a win over Holy Cross at Alec Box Stadium. LSU football on the practice field today, beginning spring drills. Great time of year. And we appreciate you for being with us here on the Locked on LSU podcast. If you haven't heard, uh, LSU basketball, they maintain first place in the SEC because last night they went to Gainesville and they beat the Gators 79-78 in overtime. Here was Will Wade. Yeah, just a just a great, great team win. I'm so proud of our guys. I thought everybody really contributed. Emmett was just tremendous. Marlon Taylor gave us unbelievable energy. He came in there, and Emmett and Marlon really helped us on that run. We, the diamond press got us going. Obviously, our guards, Trey, Skyler, and Javante made great plays all night, and Nas finished down there and, and did some good things uh, in the second half. But everybody who came in really contributed for us, and it was just a total, total, uh, total, total team win. Uh, There is, of course, the big picture element of this and then the game itself. Let's start with the big picture, then we'll dive into the minutia of the game. The big picture, of course, is that for the first time in school history, LSU goes 9-0 on the road in conference play. Uh, For what it's worth, I saw on Twitter that uh, Amy Just of NOLA.com, the Times-Picayune, tweeted that this is the third time in uh, in the SEC since they've expanded, obviously, the – the format to 18 conference games. This is the third time that a team has gone perfect on the road in conference play. The two previous times a team went perfect on the road in conference play. The 2013-2014 Florida Gators went to the Final Four and lost. The 2014-15 Kentucky Wildcats lost in the Final Four as well. But the previous two times that a team in the SEC has gone on the road and gone perfect, uh, 9-0, and they went to the Final Four. We'll see if LSU can turn that trick again. Uh, their 10th uh, quadrant one win of the season, uh, uh, ninth on the road. Just an amazing performance for LSU uh, to go on the road and get the win while facing some adversity. Um, this should, for all intents and purposes, win the SEC for LSU. Tigers are tied with Tennessee. A lot of people have asked this question. Tigers are tied with Tennessee atop the league standings at 15-2. and two. But LSU does have the head-to-head. So on Saturday, and Kentucky's at 14-3. and three. So if both Tennessee and LSU win they uh, on Saturday, they'll both finish 16-2. and two. They will share the conference championship. Uh, but LSU, by virtue of their win over Tennessee, would be the one seed in the SEC tournament. Uh, the tiebreaker doesn't determine uh, the regular season champion. They would share it. A year ago, uh, Tennessee and Auburn shared the SEC title. So um, regardless... What an opportunity. If LSU beats, all they got to do is beat Vanderbilt, who lost last night to Arkansas. So Vanderbilt's wearing the collar in the conference at 0-17. If you beat the worst team in the SEC on Saturday in your building, then you win your first SEC title in a decade. You'll be the one seed in the SEC tournament. And maybe if LSU gets a little help with Tennessee going to Auburn and Auburn fighting for its postseason life, uh, looking to certainly solidify its place in the tournament. If Auburn could beat Tennessee, then LSU would win the uh, the SEC championship outright, which would be just phenomenal year two for Will Wade to be in the spot where he is. Now, it did not come easy last night, and LSU, like it's been the case much of the year, a lot of it was its own undoing. You heard Will Wade in that comment mention um, Emmett Williams, who was phenomenal, gave the Tigers 27 minutes off the bench, and he had a monster double-double, 13 points, 
14 rebounds, seven offensive, seven defensive, and second chance points were just massive for LSU, as were the points in the paint. Second chance points, LSU led 20 to 8. Points in the paint, Tigers won it 44 to 26. That's what LSU wanted to do, was pound the paint against a smaller team, and they did it. And they were doing it phenomenally in the first half. And LSU had quieted the crowd, and you were seeing those paint touches and the putbacks and the, the athletic dunk by Marlon Taylor, which ended up Sports Center's top play, you know, in top 10, ended up as the number one play in Sports Center top 10. And LSU built an 11 point lead in the first half, 32 to 21, on the back of going into the paint and driving the basket. Florida switched its defense, and that slowed LSU's offensively. And what the Tigers started doing was settling for threes. And it's something that's a bad habit that this team has. They work the ball around the perimeter when they run into a double team or they run into the zone instead of continuing to penetrate to make a move to try to score near the basket or draw a foul, they kick it back out and end up settling for a three late in the shot clock. And they did that far too much. It's ultimately what allowed Florida back in the game, rebounding LSU's misses and scoring in transition. Um, And that's, that's disappointing and it's concerning altogether, but the fact of the matter is this is just what LSU is, and in spite of it, they continue to win games. In the first half, LSU was just one of seven from three-point range. That's 14%. One of seven for 14%. You would think if you're that ice cold, you stop shooting them, uh, but LSU didn't. They came out in the second half and actually shot 11 three-pointers. They made four of them. And then they made the one in overtime for the game. Uh, LSU ends up shooting from the three-point line 31% at 6 of 19, which is right on their average, which is their 31%, which is 13th out of 14 teams in the SEC. This is just not a good jump-shooting team. It's what they are. Uh, they're, they've got phenomenal size. They've got great athleticism. They've got guys that can score in and around the rim. Uh, and they were able to do that enough down the stretch and in overtime. Um, a couple of things that are worth pointing out. When Florida in the second half built their lead, I thought Will Wade, as he mentioned there, you know, the diamond press is what ultimately changed the momentum of that ball game. When it looked like Florida was going to wrestle it away, LSU cranked up the press and the intensity, got some turnovers, and that's how they got back into the game as they went on a 9-0 run or a 10-0 run in less than a minute. And that got LSU right back in the game and got them the lead back. Um, and then Andy Kennedy mentioned it, but there were 15 consecutive possessions where Nas Reed touched the ball. I'll, I'll trust ESPN's charting on that. But that's what they needed to do and let Nas Reed try to take over the ball game or at least affect Florida enough to where other guys could. Nas only scored nine points and had five rebounds, but the offense ran through Nas, which opened up the rest of the team, and it was uh, it, it was fun to watch. Uh, disappointing that Skyler missed the front end of a one and one, which you know your best free throw shooter on the line. I don't know what else you could possibly want that could potentially make it a three point game. And Florida needs a three just to send it to overtime. Instead, Florida gets the big three. They're up two, and you needed heroics from Tremont Waters, but that's why you want him on the floor. For everyone who asks, you know, is LSU better with Javante as opposed to Tremont? The play at the end of regulation is why you want Tremont Waters on the floor. Uh, coast to coast in under five seconds. The layup through traffic, weaving his way, it falls with .5 left. I mean, that's what he gives you. That's why he's an SEC Player of the Year candidate. That's why he is a Koozie Award finalist. Tremont Waters is spectacular, and you saw it on display at the end of regulation. And then the three-pointer that he made in overtime. And I want to be very clear. 
I, I'm not arguing that LSU should never shoot a three. It's it's there for a reason, and you've got guys that can make them and may, have made big ones at times this year. The point is the reliant on the three-point shot is what's a problem. Whenever you have a situation like what happened in overtime, they throw it into the post to Nas Reed, double-team collapses, Nas looks over the defense, Tremont's on the right wing, and or the left wing, I guess, and is wide open, and there's not anyone within a 10-foot radius of him, and he's got a set shot with two feet facing the basket, and that's Tremont Waters basically taking a practice three-pointer, a horse three, as Will Wade calls it. You absolutely take that shot. That I'm fine with. It's contested shots. It's rush shots late in the shot clock uh, or early in a shot clock where you're settling for a quick three attempt. That's where this team isn't maximizing its, its advantage. But all that said, LSU goes on the road. They get another quadrant one road win by beating Florida. An incredible uh, performance for LSU, which has now gone on the road. Uh, and their overtime wins, of course, they lost in overtime to Florida State um, in, uh, in Orlando back in November around Thanksgiving. But once they've gotten the conference play, they beat Arkansas on the road in overtime. They beat Missouri on the road in overtime. They beat Mississippi State on the road in overtime. Uh, they beat Tennessee at home in overtime, lost uh, to Florida at home in overtime, and then beat Florida. They've they've won six out of their seven conference overtime games. I mean, seven times they've gone overtime in conference play, they won six of them. At some point, you are just a team that knows how to win a game late, uh, that has figured out how to be poised in crucial situations and come away with a win. Uh, and LSU did that last night again. They put themselves in position now with a win over Vanderbilt to win the SEC, and that is just awesome. All right, it is uh, the Locked on LSU podcast, your team every day. We'll knock out a quick break, come back. Baseball Tigers were back on the diamond. We were looking at Mikhail Hilliard to see how he would do. Some lineup changes as well for Paul Maneri. We'll dive into it next. Locked on LSU, your team every day. We continue Locked on LSU podcast, your team every day. Remember, you can always listen to us on your smart speaker in your home or your vehicle. Just tell your smart speaker, play podcast, Locked on LSU. And there we are. So uh, we recapped LSU basketball's win. Uh, LSU baseball got back in the winning column. They beat Holy Cross 9-2. to As we talked about yesterday, Holy Cross is a really bad team, so I wouldn't read too much into that. What we wanted to see was Mikhail Hilliard, who was getting his first start of the season, and we wanted to see pitchers stro- throw strikes. And it wasn't really a great night for Mikhail Hilliard. Uh, he allowed a solo shave. He was only going to pitch two innings uh, because they wanted to have him available for the weekend. So he's very much on a, on a limit, uh, inning or pitch count limit. But he only lasted an inning and a third. So Mikhail Hilliard gives up a homer in the first, but did get two strikeouts. He started the second by inducing a pop foul to the first hitter and then walked the next two batters he faced, and Pulmonary had seen enough and went to Trent Vetmeyer. So, you know, for everyone who had kind of had the conversation about uh, inserting uh, Mikhail Hilliard into the weekend rotation and him potentially being that guy, I, but anyway, here was uh, Pulmonary on Mikhail Hilliard's night. Well, his velocity has been down. That's not, that wasn't anything unusual. The concerning thing was just, you know, two walks. You know, he... Uh, you know, he looked good the first batter, and then the kid kind of ambushed a first pitch fastball and hit the home run, which I wasn't upset about. But, you know, then the second inning, two walks, you know, that that's the thing that, that was most concerning. Um, so we'll, 
you know, I don't know. I don't know how he feels. I haven't talked to him yet, so we'll see. Is that why you went to the bullpen then, not letting him get to the two innings because you started walking people? Yeah, yeah. I told him yesterday, if you don't throw strikes, you're not going to pitch. And that continues to be an issue, throwing strikes. Uh, in all, the LSU staff uh, walked six batters, two from Hilliard. Matthew Beck walked one. Uh, Devin Fontenot walked two. And then Todd Peterson in the ninth walked a hitter as well. Maybe the bright spot or spots were Trent Vetmeyer and Aaron George. George got the win. Uh, they combined to work um, uh, three and a third innings. And uh, Vetmeyer struck out four of the six batters he faced, and George struck out two of the six that he faced. Neither allowed a hit or a run. And you look for bright spots, and both those guys certainly qualify. And both of those guys were guys that had issues this weekend in Texas. So not just stuff, but consistency is, is as big as anything, uh, as big a thing as Paul Maneri is looking for right now. Uh, here was Maneri uh, talking a little bit more about the pitching as a whole. I thought Wittmeyer really was a key to the game. I thought he came in and did a tremendous job there for us, getting out of the second inning and then giving us a third inning. And, um, you know, for the most part, everybody did well. Uh, you know, I wasn't too happy about Devin, you know, with the two walks that he had. I mean, his, his stuff is so good. It's just, you know, you got a big lead, man. Just challenge him and let him hit the ball again. And therein lies the rub. Um... Throw the ball over the plate. You trust your defense. You make a team that's batting 198, put the ball in play and beat you. And uh, I can understand the frustration from Paul Maneri. But in all, they ended up using seven pitchers, Hilliard, Vetmeyer, George, Beck, Fontenot, Clay Moffitt, then Todd Peterson went out and worked uh, the ninth inning. He struck out two, but he did have the walk. He actually allowed a base hit and then a walk. So there were two on with nobody out, and he comes back and gets a couple of strikeouts and got out of the inning. So... Uh, all in all, LSU gets a win. There were also some position changes. Drew Bianco started for Brant Broussard at second base, and we talked about this coming out of the weekend. The The confidence in Broussard's bat is just nil at this point. The fact that on Saturday they were down five runs in the seventh and bunted Broussard, um, you know, sacrifice bunted Broussard, uh, tells you everything you need to know. So they were trying to get Drew Bianco going, and he went over to um, with a strikeout. So... Um, he continues to struggle making contact. Also, uh, Hal Hughes started in place of Josh Smith, who had a little bit of a hamstring injury. They said it's not serious, completely just a, out of an abundance of caution. So Hughes started. He went 0 for 2, but he did walk a couple of times. Uh, was thrown out at the plate on a base hit by Zach Watson, trying to score from second base hit to center. Brock Mathis was an interesting story in that uh, he was 2 for 2. He hit a homer. And um, coupled with what he was able to do on Sunday, getting on base, uh, you know, four times, you know, with a, a base hit, hit by pitch, and a couple of walks, and he follows it up with a nice game last night. Maybe Brock Mathis' bat is coming along. He's got his batting average up to 226. So something worth watching to see if Mathis continues to swing a hot stick. And uh, Chris Reed got the start at third, and we uh, expected that would happen with um, with Reed uh, playing well and, and swinging. Swinging the bat consistently, and I say it all the time, Maneri runs a meritocracy. If you play well, if you're a hot bat, he's going to play you. And Chris Reed got a start. He was 0-2 with a walk last night. It'll be interesting to see if Reed continues to start at third base or if they kick Hughes back to his spot on Friday. Uh, one other thing worth mentioning is Saul Garza, who was back in the lineup uh, as the DH, and Garza just continues to fight it, man. He was 0-4 with 
three strikeouts. And at this point, it's he's he's up there guessing, and he's guessing wrong more often than not. I, I don't know what the better option is. Uh, maybe it's DHing Giovanni DiGiacomo, uh, just so you have a guy. Maybe you can put the ball in play and put some speed on the base paths. But you know, if Garza is DHing for you and he's not even putting the ball in play, then I don't know how you can consistently run the guy out there. Um, I know they think highly of him, and they recruited him to be a big power bat in the middle of that lineup. It just hasn't worked out so far. You're 11 games in, so there's a long way to go, but it's only going to get tougher when you start facing frontline SEC pitching and not what you're facing from a team like Holy Cross that has a staff ERA north of nine, and you're going 0 for 4 or 3 strikeouts. So it's something that we'll continue to watch with Garza, what his opportunities look like. Another bright spot was Cade Beloso, who was two for four on the night with a couple of RBI. So Beloso's been a good bat. He, like most of the offense, struggled this weekend in, in Austin, but a, a nice performance swing it last night for Cade Beloso, who seems to have solidified himself at first base. All right, it is Locked on LSU, your team every day. Uh, on tomorrow's edition, we'll certainly preview the LSU and Cal series Andrew Vaughn, the reigning Golden Spikes Player of the Year, he'll be in Baton Rouge with Cal this weekend for a three-game series. We'll preview that on tomorrow's episode. It is Locked on LSU, your team every day. When we come back, spring football underway today out on the Ponderosa at LSU. We'll preview it next. It's Locked on LSU, your team every day. Wrapping up another edition, Locked on LSU, your team every day. Normally we do a Q&A here, but I want to just talk some spring football because uh, the Tigers are back on the practice field today, and uh, they'll have another analyst with them. Uh, news broke first from Football Scoop on Wednesday that Kevin Cosgrove has joined LSU as an analyst. He spent the past four seasons as the defensive coordinator at New Mexico. He's now the lead defensive analyst for LSU uh, LSU has 10 analysts listed on its coaching staff. They've recently hired Mark Hudson, who was an offensive line coach for the Browns, former LSU player August Mangin, who was a de- is a defensive analyst who comes from Alabama, and now Cosgrove, who's 63 years old. He's been a defensive coordinator at five different programs at the FBS level during his 38-year career. He was a longtime uh, assistant under Barry Alvarez at Wisconsin, was part of two Big Ten championships and two Rose Bowls, he has he's been at Nebraska. He has been at some big time programs. In addition, uh, Minnesota, Akron, and now most recently New Mexico. And Ed Ogeron's added a guy with that much experience as a defensive analyst, as a game planner, as someone to break down film. It's just they've added so many resources to this staff, and I love it. I think they're absolutely pointing in the right direction with the way they've gone with all the analysts. Um, but uh, of course, Cosgrove, being an analyst, won't be on the field. We know that LSU will be back on the practice field Thursday today for their first spring football practice. And there's this conversation about what you should watch for. And uh, I had a chance to speak with former LSU quarterback Rohan Davey on my radio show on on Wednesday. And Rohan had some interesting comments about Joe Burrow, who's entering his first spring at LSU. Remember, Burrow didn't show up in Baton Rouge till the summer, so he's really he was thrown into the fire after just a very short tutorial. Now we can sort of start to evolve within this offense. Here's what Rowe had to say with a very bold prediction about Burrow's season. And I think Joe's going to make a huge step. That's the other thing about this. I know what a second-year quarter – I know what it feels like to be comfortable in a second year of offense. I know what kind of freaking 
crap he went through this year just trying to get everything right, and he did a fantastic job. I'm just picturing him in his second year where he's had a whole year here, had a whole year with these receivers, and he's a smart guy, so he knows what he's doing. Like, I'm I'm, I'm honestly – if 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 um what the who the hell is the offensive coordinator? Insman. Stevens. <laughs> if, if he um if he lets that boy loose, Matt, and and it goes the way I think it's gonna go, I think uh Big Joe will break he'll break my yard my passing yardage. I'm telling you. How about that for a bold prediction? A Rowan Davy which holds the LSU single season record. With 3,347 passing yards in 2001, um, Rowan, and by the way, the only quarterback ever to throw for 3,000 yards in the season in LSU history, Rowan Davey is saying, man, you turn Joe Burrow loose this year with, with all of those receivers, and he'll break LSU's single-season passing record. If that happens, exciting times in Baton Rouge this season. Some other things to keep an eye on, it's such a, a – a contrast from a year ago where LSU had lost Danny Etling. They had lost their top two rushers with Geis and Williams. They had lost their top two receivers with Shark and Gage. They had lost three starting offensive linemen, three senior uh, defensive linemen. They had lost a senior linebacker in Donnie Alexander. They had lost their top two cornerbacks in Jackson and Tolliver. Last year at this time, LSU was replacing so much talent. This year, you got almost everybody back. Now, it is worth watching the offensive line because the offensive line last year, while you returned everybody, I know Garrett Brumfield's graduated, but Chasen Hines, who played a ton of football for you, is there at left guard. Um, that offensive line was 101st in the country in sack rate. Just because you return all those guys doesn't mean they should play. If someone can beat them, that'll be interesting uh, to watch. You do lose Foster Morrow, who played a ton of football over his four years at LSU. And you have nothing coming back at tight end. Jamal Pettigrew's coming off a torn ACL. Thad Moss was injured and missed all of last year. Who steps up at tight end? I think that's certainly a very relevant question this spring. You can also look at the defensive line. Now, I think come fall, you're set. But Rashard Lawrence, he'll miss spring because of a, his knee surgery. Braden Fohoko is going to miss spring because of his bicep surgery. Um, you know that Ed Alexander's gone to the NFL draft. Neil Farrell missed the bowl game because of a broken leg. It's unclear if he's going to be available for spring as of right now. And then, of course, Davin Cotton and Dominic Livingston are in the transfer portal. So you are severely limited on numbers on the defensive line. You've got Tyler Shelvin there. You've got uh, Nelson Jenkins there. And you've got Apu Aika, the early enrollee, who's there on the defensive line. Glenn Logan is there, Justin Thomas, and a bunch of walk-ons. So... Um, numbers on the defensive line are interesting to watch. The other thing I, I would say keep an eye on is Derek Stingley because if there's one spot that's open on the defensive side of the ball, it's the number two corner opposite Christian Fulton. Keep in mind Christian Fulton coming off a broken foot. He's likely not going to participate in spring either. So can Derek Stingley as an early enrollee emerge and win that job opposite Fulton? And if so... Does LSU consider moving Kelvin Joseph back to safety? Of course, John Battles graduated. Could Kelvin Joseph and Grant Delpit combine for that for a safety tandem? Of course, Todd Harris is back at safety as well. And then you figured out a way last year to use Jacoby Stevens as sort of a versatile chess piece on the board. Where does he settle in 
But I will be interested to see if Stingley can emerge and win that number two corner job opposite Christian Fulton, or if it's Kelvin Joseph, or if it's Kerry Vincent. Uh, just something worth keeping an eye on here as they move through spring practice. The first spring drill to, uh, today, Thursday, out at LSU for Ed Ogeron, his third full spring practice as the head coach of the LSU Tigers. Uh, we will recap the first practice on tomorrow's podcast. We'll start to get you ready for LSU hosting Cal in a weekend series. And, of course, the basketball Tigers on Saturday try to win the SEC. If they can get past 0-17 Vanderbilt, we'll have it all for you on tomorrow's edition. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being here every day. It is the Locked on LSU podcast, your team every day.